All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Universe Sports Talk. As you can see, we are uh, in different locations at this time. Now that it is the holiday break is upon us. I'm still in Provo here in a lovely uh, recording booth, and Jackson is in a much more scenic location. You want to tell them where you're at, or you want to keep it secret, Jackson? Oh, man, oh, I'm out uh, in some remote location just uh, doing the job. No, I'm, I'm out here in McLean, Virginia, just outside D.C., back home for next three weeks caleb you need to just admit that you're in a shower that is not a recording booth that is a that is a shout that is a merrill hall storm shower yeah it's just the acoustics were too good to pass up i i i went in there and i started like talking and singing a little bit and it was just it was too good so here i am in the shower oh there we go well two thousand miles apart but nothing stops the byu sports grind lots of lots of stuff to talk about today um, just broke about 10, 15 minutes ago that Richard Harward is out for the season for basketball. Um, we were just talking about that. Caleb, what are you, what are you thinking about that? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. It's pretty big, right? Obviously, um, you know, the, the size down low has been an issue for BYU since he went out. And then with Gavin Baxter being out, there was some hope, you know, since Harward went out that they could bring him back. He was considered, you know, day to day, week to week kind of situation. So now they've officially ruled him out. That's a, uh, it's a big hit. We've seen in a few of the games, you know, that they've struggled um, since their identity was really that defensive and rebounding to start the season. And they struggled to find that new identity um, going a little bit smaller, you know, got, got that loss against Creighton over the weekend. So, yeah, you know, for sure, um, losing someone like Harvard for the season who was, you know, a consistent player last year brings that consistent effort down low. And, you know, if nothing else, you know, just helps you defend, helps you get a bucket here and there and helps you helps you rebound that's hard that I think that really lowers the floor of this, uh, this BYU team. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, that Creighton game for sure was BYU's first chance to really get exposed for their lack of size. Um, even, I mean, even against UVU, obviously their big popped off for 2020, but at the end of the day, you didn't really think size was the issue. You just thought BYU got outplayed and circumstance wise, they weren't, in an ideal spot against Creighton. Creighton had NBA size and their three Ryans that they started. Um, I forget their last names, but they had three guys named Ryan. You combined for like 56 points, 22 boards. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to beat that with a high school basketball size, which is what BYU has right now. So missing Baxter and missing Harward in the front court is pretty unfortunate. And, you know, you look at it and it might not, affect their it might cost them one or two games for the rest of the year which doesn't seem like a lot but it'll probably limit their chances down the stretch when it comes March tournament time um this BYU team was looking like they could be a sweet 16 caliber squad at the beginning of the year but now you look at what they what they can't do against Creighton who granted Creighton's a really good program um probably should have been ranked heading into that game but nonetheless if they can't win those games against Creighton in December how are they going to beat the UCLA's or the Florida's or any of those blue blood teams that they get pitted against in the first two rounds, you know? Or another big name that we always face, Gonzaga. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> going, going up against Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren with this current BYU squad sounds like uh, an unfair matchup, to say the least. Yeah, cruel and unusual. <laughs> I think is the is the term I'd use because yeah. when we watched when we watched Holmgren play in LA when they were playing Duke and we were on our trip to USC um 
I had never actually watched him play before. And uh, what I thought was, you know, this dude is really good, obviously, but Gavin Baxter is a perfect solution to try and contain him. And then, of course, you don't have Gavin Baxter. Who's going to guard Chet Holmgren for BYU? I mean, I know Alex Barcelo walks on water, but he can't guard Chet Holmgren, can he? I know, right? I, guess, I mean, I guess Foose, maybe Gideon. I, like, I was gonna say, I think Foose is the first option. I mean, Caleb Lohner is gonna give it his best shot. You probably match up Caleb with uh, with Drew Timmy a little bit, um, but I wonder if they're really gonna have to bring along um, Atiki a lot faster than they ever anticipated to. Um, he he's he's played, you know, not insignificant minutes the last few games with after Baxter went out. They're gonna have to play him, and he's gonna ha- if if they're gonna have success, he's gonna have to learn on the fly how to how to be a, a division one big man oh yeah Atiki is going to get a lot more minutes than I think coach Pope wanted to play him this year um Foose I just wish Foose was like two or three inches taller man right. <laughs> he's, he's he's got the Charles Barkley thing going on where he's more I mean he's not small but to play like the four or the five at the college level might be a little bit undersized but he kind of makes up for it sideways for lack of a right. better term but, you know, you, you hope Foose – I feel like Foose could be a good matchup on Chet just because, like, they have such different playing styles. And Chet is, like, the unicorn, like they always say, just the, the seven-footer with, with guard skills. And Foose is just so big and so bruising. So that could be just in how funky that matchup is. Maybe that works for BYU, but maybe it works for – I'm still a long way to go, a lot to see. Um, obviously, having Gideon George back in the lineup against Utah State – was something BYU really missed with his athletic, his athleticism on both sides of the ball. I never realized how important Gideon was on the defensive side of the game until they didn't have him. But, you know, I don't know if his impact or his contribution is enough to offset Baxter leaving. It, it definitely isn't. But Gideon George will be an X factor down the stretch as well because with his size and his just overall athleticism, I think they could slide him into some of those more uncomfortable um, matchup spots against the the Chet Holmgrens or just the the size disadvantage matchups yeah no I think you're spot on there I saw somebody tweet out um you know during or right after that Creighton game that Caleb Lohner and and Gideon George were always going to be instrumental in you know how much how much BYU improved this year and how far they go in the postseason um and they mentioned you know they didn't play that well against Creighton um and when those two guys aren't showing the improvement um, and stepping up like you need them to, then that's really, really going to cost BYU a lot of games. But I think you're spot on, like spot on with Gideon George comment. Like he is 100% the X factor of this team um, on both sides of the ball, especially with rebounding and getting deflections as well on defense. Um, his length is just so important. Um, and yeah, against those teams like Gonzaga that have a little more of that size, they're going to need Gideon to to be more of that force inside. And he, he's shown that he can do it. I mean, he, he's had double doubles. You know, he's gotten you know, his big rebounding games. Um, and he's, I think for, for getting at, at this point, it's just a consistency. Uh, I think that's what, that's what I've seen from him during games as, as coach Pope kind of pulls him over and talks to him and coaches him during games. Um, it's just the, the consistent focus um, and, and, you know, understanding, okay, this is my job all the time. I, and Cause obviously the efforts there, but I think it's just, um, you know, have it mentally, having um, the, the X's and O's of the game and knowing exactly where you're supposed to be at every, at every point and making sure that um, you're not, you're not hurting the team, whether that be, you know, ga- gambling for a, a pass or fouling both Caleb Lohner and Gideon George have gotten into foul trouble um, in a, in a few games already this year. So I think that's a big, big discussion always is, 
you know, how do we have them be these forces in the paint and rebounding, but not fouling too much at the same time? Absolutely. I like what you say about consistency. Um, I think a big part of staying consistent and staying mentally safe, I guess, in the system is knowing what their role is and maybe not playing them out of place. Um, one, one of my issues I've had with BYU's offense this year has been guys taking threes that should not be taking threes, namely the Caleb Loners, the Seneca Knights, the Gideon Georges. Um, you know, BYU is, is a pr- they're a pretty good shooting team. They've, they've come around lately. They shot 53% against Creighton. That was their season high. Unfortunately, they shot like 12% from two, it seemed like. They didn't have those, those easy rim buckets that Gavin Baxter would give them, you know. But I feel like when they when Barcelo and Johnson and Tijon and Trevin Nell are taking those three-pointers, even Foose at that one game we were at where Foose pulled up and hit one, um, those are the guys you want taking those shots. And more importantly, those are the guys who, when they take those shots, they're not going to cut, cut possessions early and cause – quick momentum swings by a miss and a bad matchup on the, on the fast break. And so when, when Gideon George is taking these threes, that's not his game. He's not making those threes. When you ask him to do something and you're having him shoot a spot of three, it, it that's, what is that going to do for you? He's not going to make them. Seneca, obviously he had a better shooting night against Creighton, but still not, not great on the season. Caleb Lohner is like one for 18 from three. Obviously you want them to be able to attack from different spots of the floor. But I feel like when you're getting Gideon in a groove and you're asking him to do one thing and he's interrupting it with a three, that's just going to brick terribly and not lead to any points or anything good. You got to wonder, like, what, what is that going to do for the consistency? It, it's not going to do anything. And with Baxter being out, with Harvard being out, being so size deficient as they are, um, I think just where these guys play on the floor becomes so much more important and making sure – Seneca or Gideon or Caleb are playing maybe closer in the key in the paint uh, and not taking these, these long threes that should be going to Barcelo or Nell or Johnson because possessions are going to become pretty, I mean, possessions are valuable in college basketball as is, but when you have no size and you might have to be a little more aggressive and force more the way BYU is going to have to do playing small for the rest of the year. I mean, your possessions are, are gold. They're like outs in baseball. You can't just give them away at will you got to have something that will lead to points or at least you know set the pace of the game yeah i know that, that that's so true and you know they're they're at a point in the season where um they're really having to um you know look at themselves in the mirror and, and figure some things out falling out of the, the ap top 25 no longer ranked um with it with that loss to creighton um so yeah you know heading into conference play here in just a few weeks um, actually, probably less than probably just like two weeks, I think, until conference play, pretty much. Um, yeah, definitely a, uh, a time of introspection and some changes for, for BYU men's basketball. They do get an, an easier one. They're uh, kind of sandwiched in between. They play Westminster um, on December 29th, so they get a bit of a break there. And that, well, I guess even before that, head into the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic uh, next week and playing uh, USF. So that, you know, I think. I think those next few games will kind of be oh and and, and Weber State how did I forget we, what, yeah. Weber State yeah thank you one we, more we, Weber one more State's having a good year too yeah so it doesn't get any easier they you know they're ha- they're gonna have to kind of learn on the fly as they have in these last few weeks um, to try and work their way back up to uh, a competitive level of play before uh, before they hit the WCC which is no cakewalk this year no I mean I was looking at the bracketology updates uh, just yesterday. And not only is Weber State 
BYU's next opponent projected to make the NCAA tournament this March, but BYU is projected to be a seven to eight seed around there. Seems about right. Um, hopefully they can maintain that. I think if the season ended today, at the end of the year, if BYU finished as a seven seed, that'd be a phenomenal success yeah. with the early setbacks they've had, the injuries, the inefficiency from guys that they thought they were going to have to rely on, like Caleb Lohner. But at the same time, there's going to be four tournament teams in the WCC. Gonzaga is the best team on the planet. Um, it's, it's no cakewalk. It's one of the most underrated, toughest leagues in the country. And so, you know, BYU has a chance to maybe tighten things up heading into conference play. Weber State, Westminster even. I mean, I think the Westminster game, there's no way, on, there's no way that BYU is going to lose that game, knock on wood. But that could be a game where maybe they, they play a little more loose, they get comfortable. It's, it's kind of like a um, – what's the word? Just kind of a get-right a get game. Yeah. And get ready for USF and conference play and just fine-tune those things that need to get figured out. But, you know, I was thinking there's when, – when they dropped out of the top 25 this past week, I was thinking about the season parallel to the football program this year already. You know, BYU football started out hot had some big time wins early uh men's basketball did the same thing they got the win over utah they got the upset over arizona state you know san diego state is is technically a rival for byu i know their student section likes to act like it is for sure on twitter but they get the gritty rivalry win they get some wins over tournament teams they upset oregon on the road you know they get this cloud early they start climbing the rankings and then you go into uvu which is another you know lower tier rivalry game just like Boise State and you lay an egg, um, it comes down to a game that a few BYU mistakes being cleaned up might have prevented, but nonetheless, there's a loss. And then there's the embarrassing loss against Creighton or Baylor. And now you're out of the rankings entirely with some chances to get back on top. Um, obviously, football had some big injuries early. Basketball's had some injuries early. Football had some things that they need to figure out. Basketball has some things that they need to figure out. We talk so much about Kalani Sataki and the culture that he's brought to football and how that Sataki culture definitely played a huge role in rebounding the football team back to being 10-2 and two and having a chance for an 11-1 season in back-to-back years. Um, Mark Pope brings a similar culture, manifested in very different ways, shown in very different ways, but that, that culture that Mark Pope has brought has been so valuable to the basketball team and what they've accomplished during his tenure here, now in year three. So, you know, we, we had a lot of question marks looking for – we had a lot of question marks going into the second half of the football season thinking okay well what is what's BYU going to do going forward with the Washington States the USC's the Virginia's these big time games on the schedule with what they with the cards they've been dealt and you know Sataki got them to rebound and coach Pope is going to have to do the exact same thing and it'll be exciting to see for sure but you know BYU football despite a really lame independence bowl that we're going to have to talk about later um, they rebounded very well. They got the respect they deserved. They finished 12th or 13th in the country in the final poll, which, you know, they started t- 10th overall before they lost to Boise. Basketball was ranked number 12 in the country. It's hard to say if they'll ever get that high again. I, I highly doubt it if they already have two losses this early. But if they could scratch the top 15, maybe between 15 and 20 in there, I mean, crazier things have happened. And Coach Pope is definitely the guy you want at the top with that culture to get things on track. Yeah. No, for sure. And, you know, we, we can we can uh, switch over a little bit to talking about a team that is still ranked, and that's the women's basketball team. Mm. Um, 
They they did unfortunately also uh, take a loss last week against Oklahoma in Oklahoma. Um, but you know, great chance to bounce back this week at home. Uh, first time they've been home um, in in over two weeks, playing Washington State this Saturday in the Marriott Center, um, and they're ranked number twenty in the nation. So women's basketball still still bringing it. Um, I think we talked about several times how you know they they are the better of the two basketball teams on campus right now, bringing back all the experienced players that they have, um, being able to avoid injuries for the most part early on, which uh, we had cannot be said about the men's team, unfortunately. Um, yeah, the women, nonetheless, uh, looking good. Tegan Graham, uh, former podcast guest of ours, dropping 30 points, 10, 10 three-pointers, a school record. Like, I feel like that hasn't been talked about enough. Um, like, she literally only made three-pointers, scored 30 points, and had, she had 10 of them. And, and like, come on, in a world, in a basketball world that's obsessed with three-pointers, that's obsessed with Steph Curry, like, come on, we have a new BYU record holder for three-pointers made in a game. Unreal. I mean, have, having that efficient a shooting day with the volume that she shot at is just unheard of. So shout out to Tegan, 30 points, 10 made threes. She made 10 threes in a game. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think Jimmer ever made 10 threes in a game. I don't think so, yeah. I don't think he ever did. Yeah. So – <laughs> just unreal. The one thing I've been seeing from women, uh, the women's team, obviously losing that overtime road game, losing it on the road in overtime to Oklahoma, um, a bit disappointing. Paisley, I think, shot three for 21 from the floor, I want to say. She had probably her worst game of the season. If Shaley's maybe just a, a tad bit locked in or whatever the problem was, if, if she plays a little bit better, maybe it makes a difference. Who knows? They've relied a lot on Shaley, a lot on Paisley, a lot on Tegan. But the one thing that I've been seeing from the women's team lately is they've been using a lot more of their depth. They haven't needed to early in the season, but they got girls like Emma Calvert and even Sarah Hampson, fifth-year senior, um, who has been in the program for so long, kind of got lost in the shuffle of the, the starting rotation with Tegan and with Lauren Gustin coming on. But Sarah Hansen's been playing meaningful minutes. Emma Calvert adds a nice boost on both ends of the floor. Uh, Maria's done a great job. She hasn't really been – Maria starts, but she hasn't been an integral part of what they try to do on offense. And now she's been racking up assists, getting to the rack. Um, the women's team is showing a lot of promise. I think they're – you know, the men's team is trying to figure out who they are and how to regroup from the losses they have while the women's team is evolving. They're adding different layers to their game come March, they have lots of different tools in their toolbox that they can reach into and go on a big run. So the women's team's exciting, ranked 20 in the country. If you haven't watched them yet, they they play some of the most fun games I've seen at BYU this year. So go and see them. If you're in Utah this weekend, Saturday at 12 p.m. noon at the Marriott Center, be there. Uh, super, super fun team to watch. As Jackson mentioned, they continue to evolve. Uh, great coach in there. They obviously got Coach Judkins. Um, but also uh, Lee Kamard, former uh, men's basketball star, he took over there for a couple of weeks, showed that he's more than capable uh, of, you know, of leading that team and helping that team. So I think he's been instrumental in his kind of opening up, as you mentioned, like those new um, new levels for that squad as they look to, um, yeah, continue to grow and become that, uh, you know, sweet 16, maybe even an elite eight type team that, that we know they can be. That's why they brought everybody back was to reach that those heights. And to do that, you have to keep evolving, keep changing and use all the all the tools that you have in your toolbox, like like Jackson said. 
Um, moving on once again, uh, you did mention that uh, that BYU football bowl game we have coming up. It's going to be a packed Saturday, actually, uh, with with that bowl game, women's basketball, men's basketball also playing. Um, the, man, Saturdays this this fall and this semester have just been packed. It's crazy. We Saturdays got are for the boys. Saturdays are for the Cougs. Yeah, seriously. Uh, how uh, how are we feeling about Shreveport? Ooh, you know. How am I feeling about Shreveport as a city, as a bowl destination, or as a matchup? Because just, just, as, just as an idea, the idea of BYU as an idea in Shreveport against UAB. I mean, you got you got to feel fine. Kalani has a pretty good record in these bowl games. I think his lifetime bowl record, I want to say, is four and one. Is that correct? That they beat right. Wyoming yeah. in the Poinsettia Bowl, famous Potato Bowl. Then they lost Hawaii, Hawaii Bowl. Yeah. And then so he's three and one. UCF. Yeah, he's three. So he's three and one in these yeah, bowl games. Yeah. That's a that's a pretty good bowl record, you know. Um, we go three and one. No, no crazy bowl victories just yet. Nothing too. I mean, you beat Josh Allen in 2016. That's that's kind of a big deal. When if Tanner Mangum beats Josh Allen, <laughs> you you did something right, and that was handing the ball to Jamal Williams 40 times or however many times it was. <laughs> anyway, UAB. Um, I think Kalani's doing a good job of letting them know that it's no. Ke- it's no cakewalk. You know, they're still a division one football team. Um, they still got to bring their a game and show that respect. Cause I feel like Kalani's thing is he has so much respect for the opponent, which is pretty refreshing to see in a very ultra competitive sports environment. Just this weekend, we won't dive into too many details here, but Washington football team, Cowboys don't ask me about that game. But even before the game, the two head coaches are chirping at each other. Mike McCarthy throwing stones at Ron Rivera, coach Rivera kind of, thrown an elbow and then McCarthy throwing more stones. It was, it was just a little odd to see. These are two grown men. They're in the NFL for crying out loud. They're trying to beef with each other through the press. Uh, Chris Sataki is the exact opposite. He's always shown class and respect to the opponent. And I feel like part of his culture is let's bring our best game to show the opponent that we respect them. And we want to get the best out of them as well, because we want to have, you know, a quality matchup. We want to win, but we want to, we want everyone to play hard and have someone to be proud of after. And, you know, you can, it's a little league, it's cheesy, whatever, but it's, you know, it's, it's college football. These people put in a lot of effort to what they do and coach Sataki wants his team to react accordingly. And so I feel like he's doing a good job of helping them not overlook the opponent. I think the players more than anything are energized are just hyped for bringing Kalani back. Um, There's a little bit of a scare when he interviewed with Oregon we talked about it. We didn't think that he was actually going to go. And then BYU, it appears, backed the truck up and uh, paid the man, like we've been saying this whole time. And so for players, you know, with what they've accomplished this year, I think there's a little bit of ownership from the players of Kalani's contract in that news because without their accomplishments, without what they've been able to do on the field, Kalani wouldn't be getting that money. Not because the players did anything necessarily, but Kalani – brought the players to that level and the players know that they feel that they want to go out and give him the best that they have and finish the season as a top 10 campaign in school history. And it'll be exciting. I, you know, I've heard a little bit of a, a little bit of talk regarding injuries. I know uh, Gunner, Neil, unlikely to play Isaac Rex, obviously out for the year. Jaron Hall has been sidelined from practices lately Hopefully he gets the start in the bowl game, but 
I guess we'll see. There's a lot of storylines to watch going into it, but at the very end of the day, we get to see BYU play one more time this season. And after the season they've had, that's a lot to be grateful for. No, totally. And yeah, as you mentioned, you know, we haven't had a chance to, to officially talk or podcast since that Kalani deal. Um, the last that we did talk was, you know, kind of putting that question out there, you know, into the, into the ether. Is he, is he going to leave? Um, did not end up leaving, will not be leaving. Um, <laughs> He's not leaving, as, as Leonardo DiCaprio says in The Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not leaving. He's not leaving. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, yeah, props to BYU. Um, big, big money moves there. Um, and, and, yeah, I totally agree. I think this could be, you know, a real motivating factor for the team. Klein Stocky known as a player's coach. Um, and so when you invest in a coach like that, you're investing in the whole program, you're investing in the players and his belief in them. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited that we get one more chance to see – the, the product that Kalani puts out there, the culture that he puts out onto the field. Um, it's, it's, it really is a joy to watch his teams. You know, you go back to some of the games we watched this year, you know, when um, Kalani uh, caught that pass on the sideline and he's dancing or when, uh, you know, Jaron Hall ran, ran down for, for, for a touchdown, you know, he's, he's freaking out and dancing and people calling him the Ted Lasso of college football and all, and all that jazz. Um, he's just a fun guy to watch. I'm glad that we get him um, for the foreseeable future. You know, uh, locks him up to, until 2027, which is you know expected to, um, you know, he's expected to be here till till then through that season. Now, I would I wouldn't expect anything less. Um, well into Big 12 time with that uh, beginning in 2023. So yeah, lo- love to see it. Um, excited to get one more look at, at Kalani on Saturday. We'll have uh, all that coverage for you guys on our social channels um, on Saturday. And we'll, you know, we keep churning and burning through the, through the Christmas break. Got to keep that fireplace stoked. Um, as, as, as I say, got to stay warm, right? I don't know. What, what, what's, the, what's the temperature like out there in, uh, in, in, in your neck of the woods? Oh, it's so nice right now. Very, there's my mom coming inside. Hi, hi Jackson's mom. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's been so nice here. Um, Mid fifties feels like very humid, which okay. haven't, haven't had any humidity because I hadn't been home in like six months. Yeah. Cause I came back off my mission, was home for about a month, came back out to Provo and we got right on the churning grind, but it's good to be home. Weather's nice. My skin isn't bleeding from the dryness anymore. It's always nice. So it's been good. And the only issue, which this, this plagues me all throughout high school is BYU games start so freaking late on the East coast. It was so nice to have a noon tip off for the Creighton game earlier but I was just looking at some of these start times for football, for basketball, like, oh, goodness, I'm going to be up so freaking late. <laughs> I mean, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be too bad this week because you get – and the bowl game's at 3.30 your time, and then we, we, BYU-Weber State's at 8 your time. So you should be in bed before. Yeah. You'll be all right. <laughs> I don't know. Depending on how we win these games, I might be up all night going around honking. But <laughs> just letting everybody feel this feel this BYU magic. Yeah, it's but, too bad we're not, we're, we're not playing uh, – UVA while you while you're there, how oh, that would have been fun to run spaces. Oh, <laughs> man, don't make me go down to UVA though. I don't want to be among their kind. <laughs> but uh, speaking uh, of speaking yeah. of speaking of UVA, uh, my FOIA request has been received, or my request for a FOIA from the University of Virginia to have a look at Bronco Mendenhall's emails regarding church service, and they found. No emails. Ah. So I know, kind of, a, kind of a bummer. So maybe, so maybe he didn't have 
maybe he was using his personal email for any church service, but we can conclude that more likely than not, he is not a mission president, unfortunately, because yeah. I wanted to see the elder tradition, elder spirit, elder honor name tags. Uh, I think we'll have to wait for that to see if he gets called another time. But well, oh well. you you did your journalistic duty, so so well done. Putting the putting the Freedom of Information Act to good use exactly. for the sake of Universe Sports Talk. Well done. But uh, yeah, Taysom and Zach this weekend though that was a that was, that was a letdown. Quite the barn burner. Oh, uh, not even. <laughs> that was lame. You know, the worst part about that was the Utah fans going crazy about how their quarterback is better because Tyler Huntley came in to replace Lamar Jackson for the Ravens, how their quarterback's better because he actually threw a touchdown pass because neither Zach nor Taysom threw a touchdown uh, in, in that game, which, you know, I mean, Zach plays on the worst football team to ever exist. And Taysom has never been a great passer, but you know, I mean, Taysom ran for a touchdown. So, you know, did run for a touchdown in absolute garbage time. <laughs> hey, but I, I had I had him on my fantasy team and he almost saved me. It was close, but couldn't couldn't get my other guys to come through. Oh man, Antonio Gibson couldn't get it going for you. I know, unfortunate. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that, 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 that was a fun weekend in the NFL, nonetheless. Uh, Cowboys did get the dub, um, and yeah, we'll we'll see what happens uh, down this home stretch for those guys. Hasn't been yeah, as exciting I mean, for those for Cougars and the pros as it was maybe last season, but I mean Fred Warner's still balling out for the Niners. Yeah. Um, so you love to see that for sure. I did notice that I was I caught a little bit of um, Packers Bears, and there there was a note. I guess Kyrus Tonga went out with an injury, um, so I don't know if he's. Yeah, I looked for him on the stat sheet. He didn't have any tackles or anything on the stats, but yeah. maybe he got in and got hurt. Special teams, although. I find it hard to believe that Kyrus Tong is playing kick return or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like everyone's just been injured this year. You know, Zach lost a few weeks. His team is garbage. Yeah. Jason has been out a little bit. Jamal Williams became the starter in Detroit. He's hurt. Um, Fred Warner's missed some time. So, it's been kind of a weird year for Cougars and the pros. Zach yeah. Milne has been a healthy scratch the last few weeks in Washington. Kyle Van Noy, though, Kyle Van Noy might be having the best season of any Crazy. BYU, former BYU player in the pros. And yeah. Patriots are the number one team in the AFC, believe it or not. Just unreal. Yikes. He could, yeah. could, he be getting, could he be getting ring number three? Wow. All, all, all I know is Micah Parsons, defensive player of the year. Uh, lock, lock, lock it in right now. Also, why I did is, see the- why is Dak Why is Dak throwing? With up thirteen, with two minutes left. Because that's all. That's all Dak does. Dak just throws. I take it back. I never want Kellen Moore to coach at BYU ever because he's calling throwing plays with two minutes left, up (laughs) thirteen, and he's putting the he's putting the football team back in the game. What are you doing, Kellen? It's called being aggressive. It's called being a convert. (laughs) Yikes! Okay. Um, Yeah. Anyway, hey, but I did see some buzz. Speaking of the Jets. You know they're bad enough that um, they they they're gonna get some some nice draft picks and could potentially pick up our boy Tyler Algier to pair with. Where Zach do we where, where do we think Algier is actually gonna get drafted? I haven't looked at a lot of projections, but I mean he's a second team second second team All American. We know that. Um, so I would venture to say you know first two rounds. 
May I don't know because running backs are usually running backs slip down farther. It feels like so yeah. for, for 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 context, Jamal Williams went in the fourth round. Yeah. Who do we think is a better overall prospect, Jamal or Tyler? Here's the thing. Oh, that's tough. Um, Tyler has more buzz, I think, going into the draft. Um, I think because of BYU's record and because of kind of more of the high-profile stuff that's been going on. So I do. I actually I do think that Tyler Algier is going to get drafted higher than Jamal Williams did. Um, okay. So I'm going to go second or third round, probably. Okay, I'd, I'd agree. I'd say probably third round, maybe early fourth, depending on mm. wherever. It depends on which other running backs. Right. Um, Claire and whatnot. I I think he's about a third round talent, which seems pretty good. Um, I think the one thing that Jamal Jamal had size. Uh, well, let me. How tall is Jamal? I know Tyler, but Tyler has 5'11". speed. Tyler has speed, but he. I feel like. Um, yeah. Okay, so Jamal is six foot. Algier is five eleven, so not too yeah. too much of a difference, but. Jamal had the fancy footwork. He was kind of elusive. That was his – he was big and elusive. That was his drawing point. Um, he could make defenders miss. But Tyler, I feel like he has the advantage because in college, being an elusive kind of shifty back benefits you because you're playing against less skilled defenders, whereas yeah. in the NFL, you're going to get hit. Like, you can't pull that same yeah. – that's why the option doesn't work anymore in the NFL. But Algier is going for the first contact. He's looking for contact to pave his way. He's not looking yeah. to dodge and get creative, although he can in the open field. But Algiers the more physical back. He's the one looking for contact. I feel like that benefits him and his game in the NFL. And if you get him behind a really good offensive line, put him in New England, put him in <laughs> Green Bay, in one of these places that have these big offensive line traditions, Yeah, goodness, that would be awesome. So I, mean, I think – I think you're right. Third, third round, maybe fourth round, higher than Jamal. So I'm gonna go third round as well. Look, I know the Jets are really bad, but they do have potential to have a pretty decent offensive line. Um, they they, they, they drafted an offensive lineman in the first round after after Zach, um, and they had a, a you know, really good one the year before that in Mackay Becton. Um, so you know there's potential there. I think if they pri- if the Jets prioritize you know their the offensive future, Zach's future. Go get another O lineman. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a tempting destination, in my opinion. But who knows? I, I saw a tweet today about the Cardinals saying how they had a quarterback that they drafted early who didn't pan out, Josh Rosen. Yeah. Um, they traded him. They had the number one overall pick. They drafted Kyler Murray. They got an attractive new head coach in Cliff Kingsbury. Um, they took their lumps for a season. Then they were more respectable, kind of in the playoff until the very end, eight and eight. And then this year, until the Rams beat them, they were the best team in the NFL. So they've had this kind of three-year plan, whereas the Jets traded away a quarterback they took early in Sam Darnold. They got a new attractive head coach in Salah. Um, They drafted Zach Wilson second overall. They've kind of taken their lumps this season. Next year, they get some more pieces. Things might solve themselves a little more. And then two years from now, 2023, who knows? Um, The Jets could be on their way because – you look at that division, that division's wide open for the next 10, 15 years. Seeing as New England doesn't have Tom Brady anymore, maybe Mac Jones. I mean, the Patriots could very well take over that division again because this, it's beginning to look a lot like 2001 right now with, with Mac Jones and Tom Brady. But at the same time, it puts every team in a position to have a, a shot to the top. So who knows? Maybe Zach could get it together in the next two years. They could have what the Cardinals have right now, get upset on Monday Night Football by a division rival. Who knows? But... 
It'll be yeah. it'll be exciting. Zach's career is far from over, is what. Oh yeah, no. For sure. I mean, he, the dude's like twenty two years old still. So also, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the key here is you got to trade for DeAndre Hopkins. As long as you do that, you'll be good. <laughs> do not trade for Terry McLaurin. Do not trade for Terry McLaurin. I will say though, speaking of being twenty two years old, I was looking the other day. BYU's twenty eighteen recruiting class, the year that I came in, my freshman year, that could be the best recruiting class in the history of BYU. Because you already got Zach, who went second overall. Also in that class, Gunnar Romney, Dax Millen, Peyton Wilgar, um, Tyler Algier, Harris Lachance. Just to name a few. Brady Christensen. Oh, my goodness. Would you like me to continue? Because all of these guys are very good at football. Yeah. Uh, I think Malik Moore might have been that year as well. He was. Yeah, I think Malik Moore and Isaiah Heron. And Isaiah, yeah, because they were both – Isaiah was in the dorms with me. So, that's Dallin Holker. Yeah. Not not a terrible class. Uh, And, you know, if you look at the recruiting rankings for that class, I think it was like low 80s, 89th overall in the country. And now a bunch of these guys are playing on Sundays and they're going back-to-back 10-win seasons. And – you look at what Kalani's dude just got the McKenzie twins keeping some cougar blood back in the program. Sounds like Brian McKenzie from the 96 team. Um, keeping some lone peak guys. I think Bronco retiring or whatever that was, uh, was really important for BYU because all these UVA kids were like, Hey, I was promised the BYU experience in Virginia are now going, Oh, I could get the BYU experience at BYU at a better program at a less pretentious school and in a better conference. Why not just do that? And I think with Kingsley, if you add Kingsley in as a new recruit, which obviously he's a transfer, but if you were to count him in as a new recruit, BYU would be number 41 in the country from 24-7 sports um, recruiting overall rankings. 41 is insane. They've already got 10 of the top 20 prospects in the state of Utah. Unreal progress on the recruiting end from Kalani. We knew he, he, he could recruit. He's found these kind of diamonds in the rough and developed them. But now I feel like Kalani, even though he's a great developer of talent, he doesn't have to develop these guys the way that he did with my recruiting class or some of these others on the stretch. He has these guys who are ready to step on the field and contribute immediately. And how much, how much pressure did that take off you as a head coach to go and put your energy somewhere else? So No, totally. Well, and it, it's, it's only, it's only going to get better now that he has more, more money and more resources for, for his staff, more positions. Um, I imagine a lot lot of that's going to go into recruiting. So the the pieces are falling into place to be successful in the big 12. Yeah. You know, you, you ask yourself, like, can BYU really compete in a power five conference? Well, little by little, the steps are falling into place. So it'll be exciting. No, super exciting. Well, uh, glad you guys could stick with us as we do this uh, over, over zoom uh, at a distance. And we'll be back at you with uh, plenty of coverage over these, next few weeks as BYU sports continue. Churn and burn, baby. Peace out. Peace out.